The following is a recording of a personal blog. Episodes may contain topics of abuse, sexual violence, self-harm, and death. All topics are handled with care, but some details shared are triggering. Listener discretion is advised. If I was running short on time and I had to explain to you why I couldn't remember something or because I said something odd or maybe I had given you a hint at something more than what was going on with me, I would usually reply with something like, sorry, I have a memory disability. And most people just leave it at that. They don't really press forward. Sometimes I'll say that to strangers, people who I want to keep at arm's length, people who I know I'm not going to see again, you know, common people, the people you would commonly meet. If we were a little bit closer, like a coworker or someone who is going to spend some time with me and is new, maybe a potential friend, I would let you know I have dissociative identity disorder. And most of the time, people don't know what that means. So I say, I have multiple personalities. Usually that only comes up with a couple questions afterwards. If we were friends, I would go, I have DID. Because there's no way we would be friends without me telling you multiple times that I have this disorder. As much as it hurts to call it a disorder. If we were family, then you've been with me for a long time, and I'm sure you can recall the times where you first learned about me having DID, and I'm sure you can recall plenty of times of me explaining how it feels. And I know that you have at times felt empathy, sympathy, and I know at times you have felt proud of me. My name is Armand Alexander Gutierrez, but my friends call me Armand. And yes, everyone calls me Armand. I've made friends with many, many people. But the things I'm about to share with you, I actually don't share with all of my friends. And the things that I share with you, I definitely don't share with the general public. And the things I'm about to share with you, some of my family don't even know. So realistically, as my audience, as a person listening to this performance, as a person getting to know me in a very different way than anyone else, we can say we're friends. Unfortunately, though, this relationship is one-sided. And it will be one-sided. But that's okay. Because it's a podcast. It's a show. I get to curate and think of everything that I'm going to share with you. And the cool part is... I have a lot to share. Dissociative identity disorder is a really interesting type of problem to have. Generally, the statistics that I always see is 1% of America has it, but 
that number has seemed to have grown within the past couple of years to two to maybe even three percent. Honestly, I think it's because the entire nation of America has been becoming a little bit more conscious and willingness to actually share about their mental health. And so a lot of people with depression or have bipolar or schizophrenic, just to name the common ones that I have in my life. DID is a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a mentor, a parent, the child of, all of those. A lot of the time, people with mental illness, we tend to downplay our mental illness and always go, oh, somebody else has it worse than me. And it becomes a tool for us to try to avoid seeking help. You know, if you think of starving kids in Africa, you're not going to, you know, feel bad about yourself having Taco Bell for your eighth night in a row. But that's even if you have guilt, you know, having Taco Bell eight nights in a row. But a lot of people have guilt about having a mental illness. I do. I still do. But the big question becomes, what part of the story do you share first? In a weird way, because this is a show, I actually get to just tell you from the beginning. And you have no say on whether or not you need clarification or if you have questions. Not in the moment, at least. So before I begin the story, I want to let you know. didandme.com is my website. I have my email in there. And you're more than welcome to email me. But I would like to remind you, if the show's gains popularity, that email might have to become a forum. But let's see how many friends I can make through this show. And if you want to listen and not be my friend, that's okay too. Because what I have to share, in all honesty, I have to trust you with this information. I've had plenty of times where I let a friend meet a personality and it was almost one of the biggest regrets of my entire life. Having one of my parents meet my personality honestly felt like it was going to be the end of the world. I've had this disorder since first grade at a minimum. <laughs> my social worker believes that I probably had this since birth. But it takes something to trigger that. And that is childhood trauma. So buddy, let me tell you, it sucks. I'm probably preaching to the choir. So let's just start chronological order. Normally I would get to know you a bit more. I would get to hear about your interests, what you know about DID, what you don't know about DID. And then I would let you know, based off of that information, what to share. So, I'm picturing you in front of me. And I'm really glad you're here. My story begins in first grade. Technically, it begins before that, with a bunch of trauma from my grandparents being passed down to my parents and then down to me. But that's not really where the story starts. That's the history. That's the reason. Maybe the cause, but that's not where it begins. I was in first grade, and I'm very happy to say my childhood trauma is so much better than others. 
again, remember how I said we like to downplay what happens to us? This is not an actual downplay. I got lucky. I really, really did. My first grade teacher was vocally abusive. She would yell at us. I don't know how many days, but I know it was all day. For a long time. We were in a uh, circle. Bunch of first graders. Private school. Very well-to-do area. In the 90s. Early 90s. And this teacher wanted us to be quiet at all times. I was afraid of her. I was horrified. I knew I had to be a good kid. I knew I had to be a good boy. Otherwise, well, guilt, pain, shame. So we're in a circle, and she's yelling at us like normal. And a kid from across the way spoke. And so she gets up in his face, and she starts yelling at him at the top of her lungs. Literally, a woman, full-grown, probably mid-30s, yelling at a first grader in front of their face as loud as she can, telling them how bad they are, yelling at them how bad they are, and telling them that they need to be quiet, and threatening them. And a kid next to me leans over to me and asks, what did they do to get yelled at? And he says it to me in a normal volume. He should have been whispering, was what I was thinking. And I tried whispering, but I had to make sure he heard me. And I said, it's because he wasn't quiet. And immediately, almost like a kind of like an animal searching, hunting for prey, she immediately picks her head up, walks all the way across the room to the other side of the circle. And she literally gets within one to two centimeters of. She gets in his face. The kid who asked me, what did he do wrong? What did the other kid do wrong? Just asked me a question. First grade. So she gets in his face. She's one millimeter away from his face, spitting on him practically. And she just reams into him and starts yelling at him. And I'm there right next to him. And it made me feel like it was all my fault. I was the one who got us caught. He did nothing wrong. And it was my fault. And so she yelled at him because it was my fault. Because she heard me, but she didn't hear him. As a child, I have no way to confirm this. But ever since then, things got really hard. The first thing that I lost was my memory. 
I would come home every day since then. And my mom would ask me, what did you do today? And I would respond with, I don't remember. Every time. Because I couldn't. My, uh, my brain had already wanted to start to protect me from remembering that really bad experience. Well, the teacher did get caught. And she was fired. But nobody, at least from what I understood, nobody checked in on me. I'm sure my parents did. But at that point, I already was losing my memory. I couldn't remember what I did in the last 24 hours. Spelling became impossible. I was held back in second grade. But I want to remind you, I got very lucky and I was in a very, very privileged place. My parents were not so lucky. They, <laughs> they did not live great lives as kids. And they worked their asses off to 180 their lives. So that way I could have everything that they didn't have. I made a lot of wishes when I was a kid. And um, all of them have come true. Literally, all of them. So the beginning of this story starts with childhood trauma. And up until now, if you know that every single wish of mine came true, that kind of means I won. I survived. But what exactly did I survive? What I have is incurable. Every single day I have to think differently so that way I can hide. I have a lot of pride and admiration for people who are transgendered, for people who are transitioning. Because the thing is, is that they have a forward presentation that they give. And when people get that wrong, they have to grid their teeth through it. If they don't grid their teeth through it, then hopefully they're in a safe enough place to where they could speak their mind or tell the person what they're feeling or thinking. Hopefully they're in a safe enough place. But for me, I'm on the opposite. Because of my mental disorder, I'm often put on a pedestal. I'm seen as that person who has it so together and yet I'm dealing with so much. And it's true. Ever since that day, I wanted to be good. But I felt bad every day. I felt like I was the worst person in the world. And that grew into becoming suicidal for 16 years. The math on that, by the way, for that 16 years, in some notes I have it, some of them say 18, some of them say 17. So I'm going to look at the glass half full. 
and say that I wanted to die for 16 years instead of 18. And I just don't want to do the math again. But I can't deny that it was anything less than that. The thing that drove me to that, though, was what I like to think about now being in the healing stages that I am and how far I am in my healing journey. This over a decade long journey. God. Just hearing yourself say that and not have Damien, Bernie, or Kiddo chime in sounds so quiet. So I'm Armand. I'm the host. Damien was my first alter or my first personality. He's younger than me. He's a teenager. I have Bernie. And to be 100% honest, I'm not sure how old Bernie is. But he's changed over time. And then I have Kiddo, who's a very young child. If you looked into DID, you'll see that that's a common theme. A lot of us have a younger version, whether that be ourselves or someone else or anything really. But there's that distinct age difference. It comes with the trauma. They were the ones who were by my side the most in my perception, in my reality. I was never alone in a room. So if you think about having a sibling, and what if they were just stuck to you? And it's not a type of stuck to you as in you're sharing a body and you're coexisting. Because for people who are Siamese twins, that other person's real. They're real siblings. But for me, these people were people. And they weren't fully formed. They couldn't be. I only have one brain. So what the disorder does is take your perception of reality and it distorts it so much that you can have full-on conversations with somebody who doesn't exist. Now, when I say that, I have to think about maybe your perspective because most of the time when I have to talk to people about this, they don't have DID. And if you're listening to this and you do have DID, <laughs> well, I apologize for telling you what you already know. But Damien was my first altar, my first important one. Bernie, for many years, was voiced through a beanie baby named Bernie. My Beanie Baby had a pushed-in nose, you know. My mom got it for me at a mall. And I loved it because my Bernie looked different than all the other Bernies. My Bernie's snout was sewn a little wrong. Made him cuter. Voicing Bernie as a child 
was my first altar. Because when Bernie talked, it was Bernie talking. It wasn't me. But I didn't know I had DID back then. I didn't know something was wrong. I just thought that I was a bad child and that I had to be a good child and make sure that I was good at all times. Grit my teeth through things that made me feel uncomfortable. Come up with reasons why I was so forgetful. A lot of people thought I was just really creative and imaginative since I was using Bernie. And they're like, whoa, like this kid has a whole, a whole character inside this little doll. Me not realizing that that was a part of me that was able to speak out. And that I didn't know that other people didn't know that I actually thought Bernie was alive, that Bernie wasn't me. So when they would talk to Bernie, it felt like I was watching two people talk to each other. I was the third wheel. Armand didn't matter. But in seventh grade, something changed and something happened. And I saw him. I saw Damien standing in front of me. And this is after months of silent screaming at night, crying every single night, barely getting any sleep, having a tremendous amount of guilt for every single thing that I did. I was well liked. I, uh, I was bullied a lot. A lot, a lot for such a well-to-do area. Some of it was racially charged. Some of it was homophobic. Eh, all of it was homophobic. In the 90s, they really didn't like the idea of uh, me being gay. So they would yell at me and call me faggot because I rollerbladed. But I'm really good at rollerblading. I'm also really good at roller skating now. Still can't go backwards, but I can probably reach about 25 miles per hour on skates. <laughs> so I guess I can only say I'm half really good. But yeah, I was bullied a lot. And it reinforced that pain and that guilt that I already had from first grade. So six years later, I just snapped and I saw him standing in front of me. Of course, he didn't have a name at that point. It was just me standing in front of me. And I was like, what the fuck? I ran to the bathroom. Oh, and by the way, I was still a goody two shoes back then. So I would never cuss like that. I definitely said, what the hell? <laughs> so I ran into the bathroom. I see that I'm. I'm dripping in sweat, how distraught I am. And finally, my outside looked like what I had thought on the inside, what I had felt on the inside. 
And that's when I knew I was crazy. That's when I knew for a fact that I had to hide everything that scared me about myself. So that way I wouldn't be locked up and thrown away like in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. I had to make sure that my parents didn't know how horrible I was. So Damien is now with me, telling me, showing me all these horrible things. He'd hit me. And that violence grew. So to think about it out of the moment, to think about it now versus back then, now I can say I had visions of Damien, let's just lightly put it as beating the shit out of me, punishing me, because I didn't say thank you enough, or because I didn't say please enough, or because when... I thought I did something nice for somebody else and they got a little annoyed with me that that wasn't good enough. Every single time I got back a grade that wasn't an A and I did not get straight A's. One trick, one trick I'll give you out of the many that I'm going to tell you is this. If you want people to think you're smart, and you're in a classroom setting or if you're in a room, all you have to do is raise your hand and ask questions. Not too many, not too little, but just a couple honest questions that you don't know the answers to. And everyone will think you're a genius because they won't remember your question and they won't remember how wrong or right you were if you ask the right type of question. So like, let's say for example, I'm in math class. And I know this problem was just explained, right? If I'm the first one to raise my hand, and instead of going, can you repeat all of that? And I go, hey, I'm confused about this middle part. How did we get there? Then people go, oh, shit, he's paying attention. They, they get some of this, even though it's a total fucking lie. You don't understand any of it. You don't know anything, but you pick a part so that way, you know, they can go over it and maybe you'll, you'll figure it out by the end or not. But when you're more specific with your questions, people think that you know more than you do. So I would ask questions about very specific things just so that way I can keep my focus. And then the result of that ended up being everyone thinking I got straight A's. And then when they found out I didn't get straight A's, they were like, what the hell? Armand, you're so smart. Armand, you do so well in class. How are you getting these grades? Do you not study? They would never ask me if I was on any drugs because they knew I was too much of a goody two-shoes. And yet they never asked me if I had a disability. They never asked me if I needed help. They just assumed that I was good. And it's because I would give them excuse after excuse after excuse. Each one being just a little different. Creating a narrative that 
wasn't true that you couldn't really follow. Oh yeah, no, I, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. So I kind of forgot how to do it, you know, in the moment. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I tried really hard and I thought I knew what it was, but apparently I don't. You got to make sure you kind of giggle at the end. I don't. Otherwise, they're going to think that you feel bad. Because you do feel bad. You feel god-awful. You're suicidal. And you need to hide that. While you're giving these explanations, and while you're ultimately being told that you're not achieving as much as you should, I had Damien over my shoulder, my right shoulder, every single time. So angry. Dude, you did fuck up. You're so fucking stupid. Look, if you had told them the truth there, they would have hated you more. And there's a time where you just ignore it. Or you get really mad and you chew them out. You fight back. And then he just shows you worse things. Things that you never wanted to see, especially while going through puberty. There are kids who will see acts of violence at a young age, see sexual things. Kids who are abused physically, mentally, sexually. And it will, you know, fuck them up. And that's what Damien did. He showed me those things and said, if you don't get better at what I want you to do, this is what's going to happen to you. So fall in line and do what I say so that way you don't ever have to deal with this in reality. Even though it felt like every single time he showed that to me, I would come out of it thinking it actually happened. And so we called them visions. Over time, trying to figure out my problem so that way I can hide it from others, I came up with a system. I found out that there were a series of things, a number of things that would happen one after the other that would consistently get me to the point where Damien would want to show me something. And so there were three stages. The first stage was paranoia. I would constantly be thinking that somebody was mad at me or that I was going to do something wrong. Just fear unreasonable, unimaginable fear. And then previsions. Previsions are what you would normally call intrusive thoughts. The previsions at times would, how am I going to end it today? What would happen if I got shot? Columbine happened uh, in 7th grade for me, maybe 8th. No, maybe it was that was later. 
9-11 happened in seventh grade. So I was already learning that the world is a much more dangerous place than I ever learned. Well, I'm already learning that inside my room is a very dangerous place. Still with the silent night terrors and screaming. The thing is, is that I would scream into my pillow or I would silently scream so that way my parents would never hear it or wake up. If they saw me uh, maybe crying once or twice, I would uh, say, yeah, I had a bad dream, but I'm okay. Just lie. Just immediately lie. Don't tell them that I've been up for three hours crying. Don't tell them that Damien even exists. Don't tell them what Damien's saying. Just do what he says. Sometimes I came up with good ideas and sometimes he praised me. Sometimes. But since my memory was so bad, things were repeating over and over and over and over again. And it was a cycle that I couldn't break. But I made it a system. Oh, did I make it a system? So stage three was the visions. Me seeing something and then coming out of it and I thought it was real. Yet again, being traumatized in real time. In the beginning, it was a vision a night. And then it grew to a vision every couple hours. And then it grew even more into multiple visions an hour. At some point in time, I couldn't take it anymore. And so I finally admitted that I was suicidal. And I got help. I was put in an outpatient program. And then I was mistreated by a doctor. And I was let go from the program for two years. And then I went back in. Only this time, I had to go into the lockdown ward. I got help. I was an impatient for a while. I got out of lockdown ward real quick. And if you're not familiar with what they do at the hospital, let me be your semi-guide. So if you are a danger to yourself, the hospital will protect you. And they will put you in a lockdown ward. And the lockdown ward honestly makes it so that way you just can't kill yourself. It's not always a comfortable place, but it's better than where you've been. Of course, they feed you. If they can, they'll do counseling time. But pretty much it's a waiting area. You'll sleep there. You'll eat there. And for some people, you'll have the worst days of your lives there. And weirdly enough, 
that is probably the best day to have your worst day. Because that place is designed for you to have your worst days. I had a pretty bad one one night. I could not stop screaming. It was a side effect of the medication that they gave me from, you know, being insane. And uh, it, it didn't work in my system. So they had to, uh, you know, restrain me. I'll be honest, I was comfortable when they restrained me. But they uh, injected me with a shot and I fell asleep immediately. That was very helpful. And I'm not being sarcastic. But once I got out of the lockdown ward, I was uh, I was an impatient. And I went to group. And I tried my best. I said yes to everything. And at one point in time, late at night, I switched. And kiddo took over my body, our body. And he wandered. And the nurses noticed. They took his vitals. They asked him some questions. And, and you know, he just, he just wanted to play Game Boy. So he did. That was toward the end of the 16 years. I figured out the system for paranoia prevision vision around high school. About three, four years into having Damien. I had to lie a lot. A lot, a lot. The things I lied about the most... How are you? I'm fine, thanks. No, things are good. I'm so happy. Those were the biggest lies. I couldn't tell them that, uh, you know, I was nervous about being around kitchen knives. That I wanted out. I couldn't tell them what Damien was doing. This is the beginning of my story. Started in first grade. Got worse in seventh. And then for 16 years, I suffered. And shortly after that, I was able to heal and turn into the person that I always wanted to be. Damien, Bernie, and Kiddo are still around. But I was able to make spaces for them for them to sleep. The last time Bernie woke up, <laughs> he was so sad. And the last time Damien woke up, he was really happy. We don't fight anymore. And I'm very happy to say, I'm very happy to say he's better. He's so, so much better. 
I'm proud of him for changing. And that's the hard part. Is that I have to remember that he's not real. That he's not a real person. That he's a part of me. And that's why this show is called DID and Me. Thanks for listening. And I promise you, the next episode is going to be a lot more fun. But that's where this is coming from. This is coming from a place of pain. And this is coming from a place of healing. And this is coming from a place of education. So thank you for letting me be personal with you. And telling you how I feel. Telling you how I felt. DIDME.com. You can email me if you'd like. Please. Keep it cool. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll see on the website what's available. Until next time, I hope you're well. And if you're not, that's okay. I know what it's like. It fucking sucks. <laughs> Talk to you soon.